0: A superstar football player, a beloved son and brother, a violent end, what forces were at work from birth that could have derailed the promising career of an unstoppable professional athlete and turn him to a life of crime? This week's episode is Aaron Hernandez, Part 1. A bump in the night, your heart fills with dread.
1: This is gonna be a
0: doozy, three parter, man. <laughs> I've been down a uh, all kinds of rabbit holes on this one. Yeah, it's um, I didn't, I knew of this, I didn't
1: know the layers of it, correct, and right. I didn't know um, just how many alleged murders were uh, attributed to him.
0: It's shocking I by, just some, by some,
1: by some. True, some say no, but I, uh, yeah, it's one of these that. I kind of only knew at a cursory glance of stuff until once you take a deep dive, there's
0: a lot to this. So much going on. I remember when it came out thinking, oh, that's weird. He's why would he do that? He's a professional athlete. And now studying it, I think, wow, that's weird. Why would you do that? You're a professional athlete. You make a lot of money. What are you doing with your life? All, every choice, you, you just look at him and go, you had such a huge promising future and you mm-hmm. just made choice after choice after choice that would put everything at risk constantly. And finally, all those risks caught up with him.
1: I also think the fact that he was an athlete contributed to these choices. Oh, yes. Due to massive head trauma. I think so. Which uh, we will talk about in the third episode. Oh, yes.
0: We got so, um, many, so many parts. This first
1: episode, we're going to talk about... Aaron Hernandez's childhood and um, kind of everything leading up to when he leaves for the University of Florida.
0: And also other stuff that happened that people think contributed to his uh, actions and reactions and behavior. Yeah. So I'm
1: Christy. I'm Heather. And this is going to be kind of a long one. So I say we just jump right in. I'm into it. Let's do it. Okay. Aaron Hernandez grew up in a modest home in Bristol, Connecticut, a working class city about 18 miles west of Hartford. He was the youngest of two boys, with his brother, Dennis Jonathan, a.k.a. DJ, as a child, but now goes by Jonathan, three years his senior. Their parents, Dennis and Terry, had been high school sweethearts at Bristol Central High School, the same school Jonathan and Aaron would eventually attend. Terry was of Italian heritage, and according to Jonathan's book, The Truth About Aaron was a constant presence of love and support throughout their childhood. You've read this book? Yes, uh Twi- twice one one sentence
0: review um oh okay That's a good one it is a clear glimpse into the somewhat everyday childhood of these this family mm-hmm. but the extraordinary instances of violence that occurred both on the sporting field and at their home With a sort of a detour into Jonathan's personal life and then wrapping up in how the crimes affected their family, which is a understandable perspective given the author, but maybe not fair to all the parties involved. I like that. I like that review, especially the last part. <laughs> yes. I mean, you get it that he's just like here's the negative ways it affected me and my yeah. mom and that's that that's all he knows. Does he think his brother did it? He he kind of says I don't know because okay. the family does see this transformation. His mother uses the phrase that's not my son anymore. His he says I look at him and think what's happened to my brother. So I think from the family's perspective, they were like maybe.
1: Yeah, it's hard I imagine to wrap your head around something like that. So I can understand them painting him as more of a sympathetic figure. And I watched, as you did too, the Netflix documentary, which we've gotten a lot of messages asking us if we watched this, so I know a lot of you guys have. Um, it's very well done. You can feel sorry for him while also... Recognizing he became a terrible person and did terrible things. I don't find those two things mutually exclusive. No, I
0: think we're not like not human anymore. If we the world isn't mustache twirling villains and uh, saints. Right. So there's it's I'm telling you, the Menendez brothers ruined my life. <laughs> this is very it makes me similar
1: think, to the Menendez brothers. Me think I think that.
0: Yeah. Yes. Where you, you can say this. I hate what this person did. I don't see why they did it but they're not, a, they're not the devil. They're not the worst person ever that maybe there were some chances they didn't get or I feel a little bit less. The Menendez brothers is a whole other we have two parts on that but in this case this, the childhood is traumatic. It's bad. Mm-hmm. It's real bad. Not everybody that has a traumatic childhood grows up to do that but then you start factoring other things and pretty soon it's, you put the pieces of the puzzle together and it paints a person who is capable of great violence. There's a um, primordial soup to creating
1: murderers it seems at like times. It, it's a casserole, yes, a murderous casserole, well, the patriarch of the family, Dennis, was known around Bristol as the King, a first generation immigrant from Puerto Rico. Dennis was thought of as an American success story after achieving local fame as a high school football star, receiving a football scholarship to the University of Connecticut and earning an honest living in the blue collar town as a custodian at the local grade school
0: and the wife was the
1: secretary at the grade school so just your average working family yes they were very there i was telling you before this something that surprised me was i didn't realize just how kind of blue collar the family was mm-hmm. until researching and, and watching the documentary and you see a picture of the house and it's very yeah it's modern i mean it's 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 nice, it's fine, but the town they grew up in was definitely blue-collar, and they were, by all accounts, just an average American family. Dennis had many friends in Bristol and took great pleasure in hosting an annual cookout and a three-on-three basketball tournament for the neighborhood that sometimes drew over 500 spectators. By all accounts, he was a local hero. But behind the scenes, the king subjected his sons and wife to physical and emotional abuse, according to Jonathan's book. Terry told her sons that their father was kind, made her feel special, was an incredible dancer and a football star. But she also recalled how he had a much darker side, which reared his ugly head when he was on drugs. Even on their wedding night, Terry walked in on Dennis snorting cocaine in the bathroom. When she confronted him, he yanked her wedding ring from her finger and smashed it with a hammer, not apologizing until the next morning.
0: Yeah, I think it was hard for them because as little, little kids, they thought he was the absolute coolest and best.
1: As you do with your father.
0: And then they started getting a little bit bigger and they witness horrible things and then they become subjected to horrible things. And their mom starts telling them these kind of stories and letting them in on the king is not who everybody thinks. he is. they start to see a different side to their father.
1: Dennis apparently also took to fatherhood slowly unable to leave behind his wild ways. On the night Aaron was born, Dennis left two-year-old Jonathan at home and went out partying with his friends rather than heading to the hospital to comfort his wife and see their newborn baby. That's a deal breaker, ladies. <laughs> um, That's not something I'd... I would look kindly upon. I
0: would not be okay with that. Definitely not okay with that. You've had a baby. I think the only Who way you took this poor woman to the hospital when <laughs> she was in labor. I drove myself. <laughs> I mean, hate.
1: yeah. That's yeah. That's a that's definitely a red flag. I think but you know, I mean, in mi- most abusive relationships there's always red flags and I think uh she probably looked the other way to help with her kids, yeah, and, and remember the good times, yeah, and you, you know, you think you can change them, and it's definitely uh, no fault of her own. Life in the Hernandez household was tumultuous, and arguing was always a constant. Eventually, it became too much, and Dennis and Terry divorced in 1991. However, they eventually found their way back to each other and remarried in 1996 when Aaron was six years old. In a recorded jailhouse phone call. Aaron recalled his childhood consisting of his mom routinely kicking his dad out of the house only to take him back. "My mom went through a real lot with my father," said Aaron. These jailhouse phone calls in the documentary are it's the wild and eye-opening. It's kind of the thread that weaves it all together. Yeah. It's um you know, from both from both sides, the people that he's talking to and him it's the most vulnerable i think anyone gets in that documentary
0: and speaks a lot of a lot of truce there's some shocking things there are some shocking things he felt when he felt pretty loose thinking nobody was going to hear them that's the
1: thing too is when i mean documentary or no documentary all those phone calls are recorded Mm -hmm. in prison but i think i was thinking this in another documentary i was watching cheer which i was if y'all aren't watching cheer on netflix Get on it, missing it's, out. It's fantastic. Okay, but I think a lot of times people in one-on-one interviews and documentaries forget that millions of people are going to see this. Do you and, think that maybe we forget that too, and we? say <laughs> Well, millions of people. I don't think not millions. No, but but I think you you want to be like honest and truthful, and maybe you're venting, or you just you're happy to have someone listen to you, and you say things that almost like you would in therapy. And then you're like, oh, I forget the jails recording this. And also a doc. Netflix is making a documentary about this. And now yeah. it's out there for everyone to hear permanently. Kind of like um, the jinx, which is oh, yeah. probably <laughs> He's the, mic on. the most all time. I forgot I was in a documentary.
0: Oopsie. That's ever happened. It's a big, pretty big. Oopsie. <laughs> pretty big one.
1: Well, Dennis and Terry were also no strangers to brushes with the law. In 1993, after attempting to buy cocaine from an undercover cop, Dennis was arrested. When Aaron was 11, Terry was also arrested for running an illegal gambling ring out of their family home. In addition, finances were an issue, with the couple filing for bankruptcy in 1999, according to The Globe.
0: I don't want to blame anybody, but uh, Jonathan did not mention that his mom ran an illegal gambling <laughs> ring. The impl- The impression I got of Mrs. Hernandez was that she was very straight-laced, and she was pissed off all the time The Dennis liked to party, and he kind of painted his dad as a party animal. He left that little tidbit out. Because li- <laughs> not- we, we do kind of our separate research and then put them all together, and sometimes I go, hmm. Did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. This is the thing I learned. Does he talk about his dad doing drugs? Yeah. He talks about that and his mom telling about his dad doing drugs and remembering after his dad's gone on a bender, seeing him kind of sleeping or passed out all day when the kids would want to watch TV or eat cereal, you normal Saturday morning Mm -hmm. stuff. And they had to be shushed a lot because she feared waking the beast pretty much. Literally.
1: Well, amidst all this chaos, the beatings continued. Aside from the usual ones with his belt in his hand, sometimes raising nine-year-old Jonathan in the air with one hand while beating him with the other, Dennis Hernandez sometimes lost complete control. In one incident, Jonathan recalls watching his father repeatedly smash his mother's head into a bathroom sink while the boys, ages six and nine, looked on in horror. She reportedly told them,
0: This coward thinks he's strong because he can beat a woman.
1: That is a memory that shapes your life. It's an incident that will shape a child's life.
0: It's very graphically written. And you can tell it's one of those things that he probably shuts his eyes and still sees it because he, they walked around. I think they heard screaming. They walk around the corner and they see him like grab her by the back of the hair and smash her face into the bathroom counter until she yells that at them. And then he keeps beating her and she goes unconscious. Wow. So, Nine years old is old enough to remember that. Oh, and six yeah. years old too. Definitely. And like we talk
1: about with memories, the more times you think of a memory, the more imprinted it is on your brain. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's one when you witness at such a young age that you've thought of a lot by the time you get to your adult years and it layers on top of itself. Yeah. In another incident, Jonathan recalls mindlessly tapping a pencil while working on homework at the family's dining room table without warning. Two sharp metal points stabbed the young boy in the forehead. His father had driven the metal end of a vacuum cleaner cord into Jonathan's head. I thought I was dying, Jonathan wrote in reaction to the waterfall of blood that covered his young face.
0: Yeah, he was supposed to finish his homework so he and his brother and dad could go to the local basketball game. And as he was bleeding horribly, the dad's like, well, I guess you're not going to go to the game. And takes Aaron and the mom when when the dad gets back home. Terry finally has to tell Dennis, listen, this has to stop. We're going to have to take him somewhere. We're going to have to explain how this happened. He's bleeding everywhere. He was just doing his homework. And she kind of makes this plea like this is the end of the line. Look what you this is so serious. You really could have done something. And this has to be kind of the final straw. And Jonathan says it's sort of kind of tampered goes off. From after the, that. There's still some instances, but she said that was kind of his mom's from his mom's perspective.
1: Well, Jonathan told the Globe that he and his brother Aaron lived in constant fear of their father's wrath, that the beatings were regular, severe and could happen over anything. In that same interview, Jonathan
0: recalled a time he tried to report the abuse. I picked up the phone once to seek help and his response was, call him. And he handed the phone and he said, I'm going to beat you even harder. You and your brother, you're going to have to pull me off of you when they knock down the door
1: man it's a classic
0: um, threat to abuse kids is, too yeah. of I'll kill you before they get here yeah. or
1: they'll never believe you or you call their bluff and you're like I don't care call them mm-hmm. and you show no fear so then they think well you what even, good would it do if I even did
0: this it's just going to cause more damage they basically he, they talk about they would just hold, run away from him and try to hide because they just were Hell constantly yeah. scared do the same, yeah
1: While seemingly anything could send Dennis into a blind rage, especially if he was drinking or using drugs, the beatings were especially bad when he was disappointed in his son's efforts in school or sports. A former high school football star himself, Dennis wanted both Aaron and Jonathan to follow in his footsteps, and it seemed everyone in town knew this. In an interview with CNN, Bristol County Sheriff Thomas Hodgson recalled a memory of Aaron.
0: His father was pretty strict. I mean, he told me his father used to make him, you know, shoot 500 shots before he went sometimes to play with his friends. Sheriff Hodgson went on to say. His dad clearly kept them anchored.
1: He was known around town as being the king, but also a no bullshit. You don't fuck with this guy. He's the uh, in multiple interviews in the documentary. Everyone that knew him said he was the man of that household, as much as I dislike that expression. Mm-hmm. But that's what he... They're like, he ran that household. Everyone knew, like, he he doesn't take your shit. And, the Hernandez
0: boys will show up when they say they're going to show Like Yeah. He's like...
1: He, well, yeah, he just didn't tolerate from them or anyone, really. Yeah. Like, any kind of shenanigans.
0: I don't know if I would say f- making someone shoot 500 shots on the basketball courts, like, anchoring them, that may be over-practicing... The kids. This is some Tiger Woods dad or Michael yeah. Jackson dad. Well, kinda. and it's
1: also just like control. Yeah. Jeff Morgan, an assistant football coach for Bristol High School where Aaron played, also seemed to be aware of Dennis's violent tendencies. In an interview with the Boston Globe, Morgan described an incident where Aaron had been caught drinking before a school dance. When Aaron was seen next at school, it seemed clear Dennis had had his way with him.
0: The next time we saw him, he he looked like... I guess his father did discipline him some. He had a black eye. I'm, I'm assuming that's where that came from.
1: Imagine the shame in having to go to school. Because everyone at school... It's a, not that big of a town. They know you didn't get it at school. They probably know you didn't get it on the weekend. They know you got it at home. They
0: know your dad is a hard ass.
1: Yeah. And then, man, that's just... And I don't know the protocol back then with teachers. Oh, and reporting. Yeah. And like if you suspect something, like how how you deal with that, that's – teachers have – bless everyone that's a teacher. Seriously. Shout out to you if you're a teacher. You have one yeah, of the Or most, counselors. Yes. Yes.
0: Anything involving like working with kids. Because it, it's mandatory reporting for certain positions and certain things that yeah. you see. And Yeah. Because then you're – you're like well am I going to put this kid in more danger by yeah. reporting it and sometimes yeah and or am I going to put
1: myself in danger For
0: sure. if he I mean it's the hardest thing they're to obviously
1: an unhinged violent person if they get wind that you reported them they know where you work yeah they probably know where you live he doesn't seem like he's afraid of much no no as the boys became older and at the insistence of Terry the physical abuse began to tamper down but by then the damage had been done In addition to the beatings at home, Aaron also suffered some pretty severe childhood injuries to the head. During a skating incident, Aaron accidentally smashed into a wall, face and head first, knocking out his two front teeth. In another incident, the brothers were working with tools in the garage when the head of Jonathan's hammer swung loose and collided with Aaron's head causing blood to come from his ears and nose.
0: Yeah, Jonathan said he got when the hammer hit his head, Aaron pretty much slumped to the ground and was barely conscien- conscious and was sort of like, am I dying? Because, mm-hmm. he, I mean, you're seeing stars. You he would think stars. he would. I'm sure as and bleeding, Jonathan he probably just accidentally killed my brother. And he's bleeding out of his ears? Yeah. That's real bad. That's, that's, real not bad. A, that's not a good sign. No, no, no. And then the, the two front teeth so that he, he had fake teeth up front and Jonathan told stories about him taking him out and playing with him and stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I think their aunt was watching them and was just horrified because they saw him go full speed mm. and lean forward and take it in the head and the face and fall backwards and then jump up and was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they're Like your mouth is blood is gushing, gushing from your mouth. Yes. But he, you know, they had that kind of like, I'm tough. I'm tough. I'm back up. I got yeah. it. I got it. Well,
1: they were raised in a household where you could not be a baby. No, weakness was not tolerated. Mm-mm. Any sign of weakness made you. A, quote, pussy. Yes. And some other quotes that we'll get to in a minute. Unsavory. Mm. According to Jonathan, his father wasn't the only one in the home with a violent temper. In his book, he describes how his brother would show flashes of rage. Friendly video game sessions would turn darkly violent. When out of nowhere, Aaron would slam the controller into his brother's wrist or claw at the skin on his face. Later, Aaron would apologize, explaining that he blacked out when these things happened.
0: Yeah, DJ said he would get a glazed look in his eye and Aaron would just turn and just beat the shit out of him. I mean, that could definitely be a sign
1: of some sort of head trauma or just other abuse, propensity to violence or, or something, but I never saw anything about him being taken to doctors, counselors, either of them. They did not mention this in DJ's book. <laughs> by the abuse they were witnessing slash experiencing The these blackout rage sessions. I mean, those are all red flags to get these kids to get some get some help. Yes. And sadly, those things did not happen. A neurologist would have helped immensely, I imagine. Tragically, Aaron wasn't only assaulted by the hands of his father on one snow day described in Jonathan's book. The classes in their elementary school were canceled during a game of hide and seek with some older boys in the neighborhood. The brothers were separated. While Jonathan chose one hiding spot, Aaron was forced into a tent with an older boy. Jonathan implies that it was in this tent that Aaron was sexually molested.
0: Aaron's college girlfriend, Alyssa, also said that he corroborated the story that it was uh, in a tent when, when he was about this age uh, and the details were similar. So it sounds like it's very sad and a, unfortunately a pretty common occurrence. Yeah. And DJ said that he or Jonathan said he tried to talk to him about it. And Aaron just said, just tell me something to make me laugh. I don't want to talk about it. Just, just say something that makes me that would make me smile. Well, George Leontire, one of Aaron's later attorneys, told the Globe that Aaron
1: also confided in him that he had been sexually abused as a young boy. Leontire also recalled that Aaron thought the abuse had made him gay. And Leontire is also gay. Okay. Um, I don't want to say also because I don't know if Aaron was or was not gay. Leon Tyre, as a gay man, said that Aaron asked him, do you think you're born gay? And he said, yeah, I do think that. And then he Aaron thought that the sexual abuse he had endured had maybe made him go down a path like that. So, yeah, he was struggling with a lot. It sounds like it, especially in Multiple forms of abuse, and yeah, especially in, in this era. In addition to being an abusive father, Dennis Hernandez was also homophobic and made no attempt to hide it. Jonathan recounted
0: to the Boston Globe, I remember Aaron wanted to be a cheerleader. My cousins were cheerleaders and amazing. And I remember coming home and, like, my dad put an end to that real quick, and it was not okay. My dad made it clear that he had his definition of a man. Well, I think you've watched cheer and you can say that those cheerleaders are men.
1: Um, There are men and women on, on this team and they are fucking beast. It's a, so it's gymnastics. It's, it's way more than yeah. it's like I, it should be in my opinion, an Olympic sport. Like they, the brutality they put their bodies through and just the fearlessness you have mm-hmm. to have to be thrown up 10 feet in the air so you're not wearing a helmet no nope. you're or pads or any you're wearing a tiny little outfit no if you didn't have a big helmet, ass bow on your head you have to have a little hole for your ponytail on top <laughs> yeah. to come out of the helmet and um you're counting on people to catch you so you don't slam it to the ground and hopefully who knows what and do they, they suffer concussions broken bones everything all the time it's a dangerous sport do they get dropped
0: yeah. Oh, that's horrifying. Free episode. Oh, God. A lot. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So apparently that was not a sport enough for Mr. Hernandez.
1: Yeah. I don't think he knew the um, Extent. the intricacies of competitive cheerleading. Yeah, I think he was going by sidelines. <laughs> yeah, which is what a lot of people day. do. And yes. that's they talk a lot about that in, in cheer, too, is what you see on the sidelines at a game is not at all what's going on behind the scenes. They're all training. Every collegiate cheerleading team is training for the NCA tournament in daytona every oh, year okay and that's all they train for is the two minute 15 seconds they get at daytona and everything they do all year goes into that so what you see them doing on the sidelines it's just like fun they're there to, <laughs> to support the team but behind that they're practicing hours seven days a week multiple hours a day it's it's wild yeah so the next little thing we're going to talk about has a word that um, neither one of us approve of and we don't use. And we decided we don't want to say it. We don't feel comfortable saying it. And we would not want to say it to and elicit any
0: kind of negative
1: reaction in True. in any of the listeners.
0: And that's the we split the duties here where Chrissy reads the the outline and I have to say the quotes, and sometimes we quote real bad people. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of them. So, um It's a slur for homosexual yes. people that starts with an F. Yeah. And so Heather's going to say F-word instead, yes. but it's
1: not I'm not saying it's, fuck. It's not fuck. It's uh the other F-word. Yes. Well, Jonathan also describes the time in his book when the family watched a community basketball game together. Aaron had clasped his hands in front of him and had his elbows at his side. This enraged Dennis, who admonished Aaron for standing like a... F-word. ...and warned him that... There are no F-words in the Hernandez family. That is a word. I'm reading it. And even reading it, it's,
0: it's so harsh and just everything... I hate. I well and so I listen to all the audiobooks that I read. I I get the Kindle so I can read them and then I'll walk the dogs and listen to them too. And I was walking the dogs when this came up and it's just oh uh, and it's I'm, shocking. I'm not an LGBTQ person, but it's still well, maybe you're an ally, but I'm an ally, it's true, but but I you can never, you know, you can't really I can be offended by the n-word, but as I'm not a part of a I'm not a person of color, I'm not a part of that group that I won't say, oh, it makes me just as upset as someone that would be a part of the group. But it can, it does make me upset. Sure. And the same with this word. And as I was walking in, even though Jonathan is totally quoting his dad and at no point is jo- Jonathan even says, I hate when people use this. I have people that in my life that are LGBTQ and this really upsets me. But just even walking the dogs, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. You know, your eyes can kind of preview when you're reading. But listening, it just pops in your head. And I was like, oh. And then he said it again, and then he said it again. And I was like, Jesus, that was the, but that was the sort of, freely the, the free way in which his dad just sort of threw this world around the ton. and it rolled apparently in their house it was used frequently and any sort of behavior if they cried or if he like in this case he was literally just standing kind of he kind of didn't his hands were in front of him it wasn't like he he was doing any movement or gesture he was literally just standing with his hands clasped and his dad came up and pushed him and said don't be like that mm. and it's so it was just such a weird chip on his shoulder that his dad had but that They used it a lot and it was very unsettling. So I know how I'd help, how ear assaulted I felt. And I know we're in people's ears and I don't want to ear assault other people. No, it's, um, it's an ear assaulting
1: word for sure. It's, uh, and to hear that in your house growing up repeatedly, I imagine if you were having any feelings that you might be gay, you're going to push those down real far and feel like, you are um, a terrible and a person, and there's you're wrong, and this lifestyle that you want to live isn't right, and, and that goes you for are. anybody, not just Aaron Hernandez, but yeah,
0: like who I am is wrong, and I hate myself, and yeah, it's damaging to it's a kid,
1: heartbreaking when I hear of of people, my friends that are out that grew Their up favorite. in houses where that's how they felt, and you know, it's, I mean, that kind of. That kind of uh, unacceptance and stuff is what leads to like teenage suicides and high and rates self harm and everything. And it's this is again where I feel sorry for him. Yes, I feel sympathy for him mm-hmm. because he was just a kid at this point mm-hmm. trying to just <laughs> fucking watch a basketball. He was literally game. just standing there. Yeah, and and he's assaulted. He can't even do that right. This horribly offensive word was part of Dennis's everyday vernacular, according
0: to Jonathan. F word was used all the time in our house. All the time. Standing, talking, acting, looking. It was the furthest thing my father wanted you to even look like in our household. This was not acceptable to him.
1: Jonathan told the Globe.
0: Pervasive.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one has to wonder why. Did he feel that way?
0: And you don't know if, you know, maybe where he came from, yeah. there was such a persecution of uh, homosexual people that he thought, well, I don't want my that fate to befall my sons or if he, you know... Or how he was brought up. How he... Yeah, they had it in their household or if it was religious reasons or what it was, but it was seemed like it was that was, it was one of his hot buttons that if the boys acted anything that wasn't stereotypically masculine he'd flip out. Yeah,
1: which is I'm sure a reason he wanted them to be star football players and get them into a masculine sport and mm-hmm. have them be seen around town under that lens. One benefit to the boys' close age was that the two were able to play on their high school varsity football team together. Jonathan, a senior, was quarterback. And Aaron, a 13-year-old wide receiver, was talented enough to be chosen for the varsity team as a freshman. Aaron also ran track and was an impressive basketball player. Once Jonathan graduated high school, he began playing football for the University of Connecticut, following in his father's footsteps. He looked forward to eventually bringing his brother onto the team. But before Aaron's high school graduation, tragedy struck. On New Year's Eve 2005, the Hernandez family sat down to dinner. Suddenly, Dennis became struck with a pain in his gut that had him laid out in agony on the couple's bed. Terry rushed her husband to the hospital, where he was treated for a strangulated hernia, a condition where a hernia is cutting off the blood supply to the intestines and abdominal tissue. The doctors let him know he desperately needed surgery.
0: Yeah, they said that the family, it just came out of nowhere, that he just all of a sudden... It just woo, all yeah. of a sudden you feel it. And the, the Jonathan said that he and Aaron just sat at the table eating because he said, I'm fine. It's no big deal. You know, I just got to go to the hospital. It's nothing. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Of course, you know, all parents say that. Sure. And they said they just sat there and thought, OK, well, dad, he'll probably be home tomorrow. Hmm. Well, during the surgery, complications arose
1: and eventually Dennis had to be moved to ICU as he suffered from blood toxicity. His condition deteriorated, and finally, on January 6, 2006, Dennis Hernandez died as doctors frantically struggled to save his life while his wife and two sons stood by watching, helpless.
0: Yeah, the surgery was supposed to take like two hours, and it took eight or something, and then from there, he they got to go and visit him a couple times in the ICU, and then his condition just got worse to where the whole extended family everybody was in the waiting room mm-hmm. and the mom and sons were are like okay well finally we'll go home and get some sleep and then the family calls and is like you got to get back up here yeah. they'd moved him to a hospital that was a little bit closer to the house but the the time it took them to get back to the hospital he was like coding out and they stood in which why would they let the family stay in the room i mean i guess it's your choice or whatever but they said that Jonathan said that he saw them like put the paddles to the dad, mm-hmm. that it was bad, like it was like that. So, I mean, okay. maybe. they. Yeah, I mean, if he got struck with this on New Year's
1: Eve on the 6th, so it was less than a week that mm-hmm. this quickly took him down. Well, many have posited that the death of Dennis was what plummeted Aaron towards a downward spiral. From an outsider's perspective, the father and son had been extremely close with Aaron idolizing his father and aspiring to emulate him. Perhaps this perceived closeness is why so many thought it odd that Aaron appeared emotionless and stoic at his father's funeral, not shedding one tear for the fallen king. However, knowing now the details of the abuse Aaron endured from his father, the lack of tears may not be that surprising.
0: Yeah, and they say that at the time they were kind of trying to find, not really a replacement, but... Aaron was about to play his a uh, big deal basketball game where he was going to score his thousandth point, and in their town it was a big deal when they knew. Basically, you could kind of calculate what game it would be at, and when you scored the point, you take your basketball and you t- go to the stands and give it to whoever you, you know. It's like a mm-hmm. thank you, pretty much. And DJ or Jonathan had given it to their dad, and Aaron this happened right like weeks after mm-hmm. and his dad of course wasn't there and so they called the uncle so Dennis's brother came and he was able they were twins and he was able to give mm-hmm. him his you know give him the all but it was still that moment where everybody because everyone in the community knew Dennis Hernandez everybody in the community knew they said that the funeral for him wrapped around the block yeah. people lined up trying to get in and so everybody was at that game because mm-hmm. they knew this was Aaron's big deal and of course everybody's crying and it was a huge deal but still that feeling of He should be here. And why, you know, why isn't he here?
1: Also, everyone grieves differently. True. So just because you're not crying crying. at a funeral. I've been to funerals where I was very sad. But, Mm -hmm. you, you know, sometimes you internalize things and shut it down. I'm sure you're also grappling with a myriad of emotions because this was your father. You did idolize him and looked up to him and his word was everything in that house. He also beat the shit out of you.
0: Yes, and he also told you, you know, maybe if you wanted to be a thing that you thought you weren't allowed to be around him and now yeah. you're like, am I free? Am I, I feel guilty for feeling happy because he hit me, but I also loved him. But also, you also get kind of codependent on someone who says, this is how you dress. This is how you stand. Mm-hmm. This is how you act. This is the sport you play. And when they're gone, you think, well, shit. Now what do I do?
1: Um, you have to start making those decisions on your own. Well, in the wake of his father's death, Aaron began spending more time with his cousin, Tanya Singleton, 14 years his senior, and her husband, Jeffrey Cummings. Tanya's mom and Aaron's dad were siblings. In his book, Jonathan details how his mother hated visiting Tanya's house, as it was a structureless, wild place where folks played table games and drank and smoked into the wee hours of the night. Jonathan and Aaron would accompany his parents on visits as children, but Terry would get fed up and leave with her boys. Dennis would stay. Stumble home, then sleep away the next day. But after Dennis's death, Tanya and Jeff's home became an oasis for Aaron, who struggled with his big brother, Jonathan, off at college.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing is now the house is so empty. Jonathan's gone. Dennis is gone. And now then Aaron starts saying, I don't want to go home because it's not like I thought it was. It's not how it used to be.
1: Yeah. Not to mention, he's by all accounts struggling with a lot of sexual identity. Mm -hmm. And I mean... He is no longer here to speak to that. But tons of people that knew him and had relationships with him said, yeah, he was very much struggling with being mm-hmm. gay and not being able to come out. So that in and of itself is enough to shut any teenager down. But then when you've just lost your father and your brothers away and all, I mean, it's a recipe to implode. Yeah, Your foundation totally rocks. Mm-hmm. Jeff even accompanied Aaron and one of Aaron's coaches on his trip to visit Florida, as he was considering becoming a University of Florida Gator. Soon, Jeff was attending all of Aaron's football and basketball games, often taking smoke breaks with Terry, who was also there. Soon, Jeff and Terry were talking regularly and even going out for drinks together.
0: This is happens when there's a woman in need. Hmm. They, that ha- it happened in nine eleven when a lot of the firemen who did not make it, their widows would need help, and the surviving firemen would go over to help them and then fall in mm. love with the nine eleven widows. They did a story about it. I think it was like the New York Times or something. But it's this weird emotional connection yeah. that you make when someone's grieving and you want to help them, even when you are married to another person. There was a Ben Affleck and somebody movie about that
1: too, where both of their... Uh, both of their spouses were on a plane that crashed oh. and the spouses died but through the deaths they realized the spouses had been cheating, cheating with each other is on it, them. Is Jennifer Garner in that? I don't remember. Is that how they met? Well, maybe. I wanted to say it was Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, but I don't, no, no, no. I, it was is, Gwyneth, right? is it
0: called Bounce?
1: Maybe. Okay. I They were in a movie but I don't know if I'm, that's the movie I'm talking yeah. about. But they're but they like, yeah, they found solace in each other because, mm-hmm. well, one, their spouses were dead, but also their spouses have been <laughs> cheating, cheating on them on with them. each other. But yeah, I mean, I could see, you see that in a lot of movies and stuff, especially like in nine eleven firefighters, but also like cops and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Because you got to take care of her. Yeah. One night in the parking lot of Aaron's basketball game, his cousin Tanya confronted her husband and aunt accusing them of having an affair. The two maintained it was an innocent friendship, but after that, nothing would be the same between Aaron and his mom. He was already having issues with her and pulling away and very resentful, and this was just adding fuel to the fire. Yeah, buttonheads kind of be like, you know, you're ruining our family or whatever. Aaron's relationship with Jeff was also destroyed when Tanya kicked her husband out of her house, leading him to move into the Hernandez family home. Aaron was disgusted and began spending most of his time at Tonya's where there were no rules or restrictions and he could drink as much booze and smoke as much weed as he wanted. It was at his cousin's house that he would also meet Ernest Wallace and Carlos Ortiz, two unsavory characters that would play a major role in Aaron's life a few years down the road.
0: Yeah, it was the uh, the free for all that it was when he was a kid, too. Like, yeah,
1: she uh, from everything I've read, Anyone was welcome, which mm-hmm. can be good, but it's also leaving the door open for a lot of unsavory yeah. uh, characters that are just passing through town. There was a lot that went on there. He was 16 at this time, 17. Mm-hmm. Just when you have no rules and you can just do whatever you want. It's not good it's for not a,
0: good, <laughs> a developing boy.
1: No. And also in the documentary, um, Dan sans. Dennis Sansushi's Sushi's dad, who Dennis Sansushi Sushi was the high school quarterback, said when all this was going on and Jeff moved into the home, like Aaron would walk downstairs and Jeff would be in his boxers in the family kitchen just making breakfast and like. His dad died six months earlier. Yeah. Like that's also, not
0: something that you're going
1: to be okay with seeing. Sitting
0: in dad's seat. Yeah. Sitting at the table no. where dad would sit. Yeah. You're very
1: resentful that you feel like your mom shouldn't have moved on this quickly. And not to mention, it's your cousin's husband. Husband. So there's a lot to unpack it's Twisted. There. Yeah. Tanya and Aaron became inseparable and soon formed a bond that was closer to that of a mother and son. On one occasion, Terry even received a call from a local bartender, reporting her 16-year-old son had been in with his cousin, and Tanya had been giving him alcohol. Terry flipped. She called Tanya to tell her, This stops now. But according to Jonathan, Tanya replied with a terse,
0: I am his mother now. Yikes. Yeah, there was... This is when it took a turn. Also, this, uh... This woman
1: looks like a woman you don't want to fuck with. She
0: looks like she would slap the shit out of you. Yeah,
1: yeah, she is not someone I'd want to she's stumble like upon a, in a dark alley.
0: And for Aaron, she was like ride or die man. She was like, oh I'm yeah, not, I'm not going to flip on you. No. I'll never turn my back on you. When we get into the
1: trial stuff. Like she's, I have, I mean, she could have been in the mafia. She, yes, with his loyalty, she she's, was like, yes. like snitches get stitches type of mentality. But she was. He was she was everything to him yeah a big sister a mom whatever kind of role that was and he needed fulfilled yeah he, she was fulfilling it and he uh probably was fine with her saying i'm your mother now mm-hmm. aaron was angry and resented his mother and told jonathan he was disappointed that she had destroyed their family jonathan encouraged aaron to be calm and listen to her side of things but aaron's mind was made up Later, at one of Aaron's big games, he snubbed his mom, telling her, I don't talk to sluts or whores. That yes. is a punch to the gut when your kid says something like that
0: to you. This is one in a series of, for up until he's playing in the Super Bowl, of him like inviting his mom to stuff, and sometimes not, but sometimes inviting her and just being kind of an asshole to her when she gets there, it's strange. It's like a constant, he constantly wanted to punish her, and he would almost trick her by being like, yeah, sure, you can come. And then when she got there, he just like would, uh, what do you call it? Like, uh... Um, What does Dwight Schrute do with the, Shun, shun, unshun, reshun. He would just shun her. And she so she's in the room, but he would act like she wasn't in the room. And then she would just start crying and have to leave because That's worse than not being invited. Exactly. Because she was basically because then he's sitting there laughing and talking and joking with everybody else. That's like when you're in
1: high school and you really like a guy or your boyfriend, like y'all just broke up, and then he's like, Hey, why don't you come to this party on Friday? And you show up and he's macking on some other girl and you're like why the fuck did you tell me to come here mean because he's mean. yeah and that's what it is it's all about like showing out and control Mm -hmm. and making someone hurt up until now terry and jeff had maintained that their relationship was strictly platonic however that would story would soon change when terry sat aaron down to tell him that in fact she and jeff had decided to start dating After that, Aaron's relationship with his mother grew even more distant, with him even refusing to invite her to his high school graduation party.
0: But after the party, he had gotten a lot of checks, and he called his mom and said, hey, can you help me go to the bank and deposit these checks that I just got at my party? And she basically said, fuck you, no. She said, you didn't even invite me to the party, now you want me to help you? Yeah. And so it was this weird, like I said, this kind of weird dynamic of hey, but you still want to help me? And then there are times on those calls that you hear in the jailhouse where he says, man, you fucked my life up. And then other calls where he's like, I love you, I miss you. Yeah, It's it's this back and forth, strained kind of relationship.
1: Similar to the one Terry had with Dennis. True, true. And he, t- Dennis had with his sons. Yep. Just that abusive cycle of, I hate you, I love you, I hate mm-hmm. you, I love you. So when he grows up with that it stands to reason, and raging—that's he, he, how he's going to treat others. I also think there could have been some mental health stuff at play, where he's just like straight up disconnecting, yeah, from from things. Listening to those jailhouse uh, recordings, he always sounds very like almost stoned, yeah. and I know he's not because he's in jail, but it's just this almost like he doesn't even understand the severity of things yeah and you probably didn't just that didn't start in prison that was something that he's always
0: kind of i don't know closed off or maybe he learned to like stuff down his feelings a lot i think it's that it's stuff down and avoidance and there's i can't remember what the other time is but it's another situation where something bad happens and he tells jonathan do something to make me laugh Mm -hmm. Do something to make me smile. And it's he just wants to not think about it and just push it away. And so in this case, his dad's dead. He doesn't want to be in the house and have to deal with the fact that his dad's dead. So he just moves in with someone else. He doesn't want to deal with his feelings. So he just starts abusing drugs and alcohol.
1: The thing is, when you don't deal with your feelings and you just bottle them up and stuff them down, eventually it's just going to that cork on that bottle is
0: going to come shooting out and like it's a third grade volcano experiment yes it's did you ever do one of those i always wanted to and i, I never didn't do did. one either i don't think it's one of those things that you see on uh on sitcoms and yeah. you're like when i'm in the third grade <laughs> i'm gonna get to do that and you don't i did an improv scene about them <laughs> i you guess i was leaving living my childhood dreams <laughs> like, out vicariously that's what yet. improv is you just fulfill your dreams that is panties. very true
1: I don't think I did.
0: Uh, I'll have to ask my mom, but it doesn't it doesn't come to mind. I built a scale model of the Titanic because I was oh, that's cool. Very obsessed with the Titanic, but and they said you could do a mystery. And I was like a mystery. What is, sunk the Titanic? That is a mystery. Kind of know.
1: I did a book report on the Titanic.
0: Did you hear that they hit the Titanic with a submarine? What do you mean? Like, they were down... The, uh, like, the whatever. wreckage? No, yeah. Someone was down in a submarine, oh, and they got no. too close, and they rammed it. Was it James
1: Cameron? Yeah, it was just <laughs> No, I don't.
0: I think it was the government. And they Damn. rammed it, and they didn't tell anybody for a couple months. I guess who's going to find out? Yeah. Someone goes down there and goes, this shipwreck's all fucked up. Well, I mean, this might sound like a dumb question, but...
1: Does it matter?
0: And that's the question, I guess, because there are they, they could go down and they've been trying to get stuff out of it. and Still? Well, I think so. We can only get so much stuff. Is and there take still footage. shit in there? I think there's still stuff down there. Man, that's wild. Isn't it weird that the ocean's so deep and shit's just down there? Yeah, I think about that a lot. I it's, think about the just, ocean a lot. Sometimes I contemplate the vastness of the ocean. <laughs> all, all the time, and and space.
1: What? I'm not joking. I love you. <laughs> it's Well, to me space and the ocean are the same thing just yep. one's down and one's up that's yeah exactly right. <laughs> but it's it's yeah it's crazy that like we will never know the depths of it Mm-mm. of either of those the things. mariana trench what's no. in there yeah dale william that's it there's a. Uh, it's there are things that live in the ocean that we'll never know we've never seen light those like little things that live way down at the bottom that are like see-through and iridescent those little fishies and if that's possible what's in space yeah there it is all sorts of shit heather damn i'm gonna pause it somewhere there's a wormhole that connects space and the ocean i've always wondered that because <laughs> i mean it makes sense because that's like it's it's like their vacation home it's the same but different it's where lognes monster she goes yes. to space sometimes but also like how we want to like travel somewhere different, but yeah. that we still know yeah. on our planet for vacation. So they they have Go like to second face. homes.
0: Yeah, we just say we're not high. We're on drugs. We're right? <laughs> like drunk or anything. I am. I'm drinking a Soliel. Stone cold. Uh, uh, I got nothing. Stone cold sober. You're you're
1: doing nothing over there. Well, while Aaron was clearly struggling with his father's death, his mother's new relationship, and his brother being away at college. He was doing seemingly well in high school. He was well-liked amongst his peers, funny, good-looking, and a phenomenal football star. It was also at Bristol Central High where he met Shiana Jenkins, a high school girlfriend that he would reconnect with years later to have a baby with and ask to be his wife.
0: Shiana Jenkins does the foreword for the Jose Baez book Unnecessary Roughness okay and in that she talks about I think they maybe like were in grade school together but didn't really meet but then they were became friends in high school and then started dating and she was on the track team and he was a football Mm -hmm. star and she said that all the girls were kind of vying for his attention he's
1: very good looking he's hot I know
0: it's hard to to, uh, you know reconcile that but then that that's how they kind of their friendship sort of blossomed into love yeah
1: yeah, and she's heavily featured on the inside the mind mm-hmm. of. Uh, a killer inside. Killer inside the mind of Aaron Hernandez, yes. Yeah, because things take a crazy turn in episode two when. This poor gal. When uh, her sister gets involved as well. Well, Aaron also began to develop a close relationship with the quarterback at his high school, Dennis Sansushi. Aaron was the team's wide receiver, and together the duo became an unstoppable force, completing an impressive nine touchdown passes in the first four games of the season. The two began spending a lot of time together off the field as well, usually smoking copious amounts of marijuana. In the Netflix documentary, Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez, and in an interview with the Boston Globe, Sansushi discussed how he and Aaron would smoke before and after school, prior to heading to practice, and even before big games. We were baked, San Sushi told the Globe. San Sushi also admitted that their relationship was not strictly platonic, and that throughout middle and high school, he and Aaron engaged in a romantic relationship. Me and him
0: were very much into trying to hide what we were doing. We did not want people to know. San Sushi told the Globe. He's heavily featured in this documentary, yes. and his father is as yeah. well talking about the and what we were saying earlier of somebody that lives in this house with someone who says my son will never be like that yeah. my son will never do that and how he had to come out to his dad yeah and how his dad thankfully had a really positive his response. dad seems great on the interview and yes
1: um, he he didn't come out until many years later after aaron mm-hmm. took his own life well according to san sushi it was crucial that he and aaron kept their relationship a secret at the time, Bristol was a traditional community with few known gay members. In addition, San Sushi was headed to the army post graduation. But according to Sansushi and other sources close to Aaron, what Aaron feared most was his father finding out, which makes sense. Yeah, and you're a football player, you're going to go to a big probably SEC football school, where again that's not something that's talked about back then or or you know really looked favorably upon. The army, a whole other separate issue. Yes. So yeah, these two guys, who, if you were to look at them as a fellow classmate, I, I can't imagine you would ever think these two are in an intimate relationship. Yeah, they're just best friends. They're best friends. They're masculine football players, mm-hmm. and stereotypically, everyone would just assume. And plus, Aaron was dating Shiana. Yeah. So, it's again sympathy for having to hide that, you hide who you really are and live in fear that someone's going to find out and your whole life is going to be destroyed and your father's going to beat the shit out of you and disown you. Despite the mental anguish Aaron was allegedly suffering, he continued to be a beast on the football field. His coaches, teammates, and neighbors all recognized that Aaron's talent was special and would take him far. But his impressive skills came with a dangerous price. In an interview with The Globe, Bristol resident Lori Belmonte recalled a particularly scary game in 2006 in which
0: Aaron played against Maloney High School. I saw him get hit, and I saw him go down, and he didn't get back up. And Aaron would always get back up. And then the coaches went on in the field, and he must have been totally out of it because they called the ambulance that was standing by. And so the EMTs immediately came up off the field, and they got him, and they took him away. Despite
1: suffering a massive concussion from that hit, Aaron only missed one game. He was quickly back on the field and finished out the season strong, even being named Connecticut's Player
0: of the Year. We will see this again and again. Yes. Where people in the stands think, that guy is done, and then he's like, put me back in. We'll see again and
1: again how the coaches are also like, put him back in. Yeah. Give him a shot. He'll be fine. He'll play through the pain. He'll be fine. And that shit happens starting in high school i mean really the dangerous uh head concussions and everything can start in peewee mm-hmm. but when they're giving kids shots of pain meds and stuff so they can play through the pain and yeah Aaron is saying put me back in i think the rules are you have to sit out a game if you suffer a Hopefully. concussion yeah but his again his dad no tolerance for weakness at this point, he's also, I believe, has passed, but you still have that mentality. Mm-hmm. It's ingrained in you. Be yeah. tough.
0: Be, be tough. Get up. You're brave. You can take yes. it. Take yeah. the hit.
1: Well, after their father's death, Jonathan and Aaron were left to make many difficult life decisions. One of these was where Aaron, an incredibly promising football player, would head for college. Though his brother and the coach of the University of Connecticut wanted to see Aaron stay in their home state, Aaron was successfully recruited by the University of Florida and Urban Meyer, one of the nation's top coaches at the time.
0: Well, and this was a strange because not strange, but Aaron had said, Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go to Yukon where He even signed a, he signed a, 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 a s-
1: agreement with them.
0: And then had this, you know, this kind of recruiting thing and said, Okay, I'm going to Florida. No wait, I'm gonna go back to Yukon. Okay, no, I'm gonna go to Florida. So he starts showing the signs of real impulsive, kind of rash decisions mm-hmm. and they said, you can visit but don't sign anything because you need to withdraw your one offer before you sign the other. And he calls from down there and he goes, "Hey, I just signed everything. I already signed it." And they're like, "What?" So Urban like-
1: Meyer was—I don't know if he's still coaches, but he um, had a reputation for being very insistent, very, very persuasive. He wanted uh, really young high school kids mm-hmm. that you know hadn't even graduated yet to come and play on the team, and he kind of. Um, If he was known as, if I want this guy to come play here, he's going to come play here. So I imagine when you've got somebody telling you all these great things, we're gonna, you're going to get to the NFL. We, your your career is going to be so promising. Come here, we're going to do all this for you. That's hard as a seventeen year old kid to turn down,
0: especially because the University of Florida was a huge, big deal school, and this guy is a very respected coach. Yeah, and he's telling you. You're going to go to the NFL if you play with me. You're going to believe him. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Meyer was known for his win-at-all-costs attitude and got on a plane to Bristol to meet with both Aaron's mom and his high school principal, Dennis Siegman. Coach Meyer's wanted Principal Siegman to allow Aaron to graduate six months early so he could immediately start playing football for the Gators. Siegman granted the request, but in an interview with The Globe, expressed regret over this decision.
0: If I had to do it all over again... I would have fought tooth and nail not to let that kid graduate at midyear, not to let him go to Florida at midyear. He Had we had a longer time with him, maybe we could have changed things.
1: With his mom and school's permission and the persuasive persistence from Urban Meyer, 17-year-old Aaron Hernandez packed up and moved to Gainesville to play football at the University of Florida. However, there were clear signs that he was not mentally or emotionally prepared for this massive life change.
0: No, I moved away when I was 18. I was an idiot. Same. <laughs> I mean... And I wasn't having
1: all of this other stuff that it just I hadn't just lost a parent. Correct. I wasn't struggling with my sexual identity. Correct.
0: Yeah. Um, same. And I wasn't had I didn't have the pressure of now you have to play football yeah. real good or we'll take all this money. Yeah, away.
1: yeah. Apart from still grieving the death of his father, his propensity for partying and his struggles with his sexual identity. Aaron was not academically prepared either. Records obtained by the Globe showed that Aaron's verbal SAT score was 420, almost 200 points below the minimum required in Florida. In his admission paperwork, a college administrator also wrote that he needed reading and writing
0: remediation. So, I mean, he's not, I mean, he's 17 too. He's six months early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not ready. No. They set him up with a tutor, but. Yeah, and he
1: went to, as a lot of uh, recruits did with Urban Meyer, went to a community college when he got to Gainesville mm-hmm. that didn't even transfer the college credits, but just to kinda get them up to speed because they hadn't finished graduating high school. Mm-mm. They're babies. Yeah. I mean you're a baby even when you do
0: graduate high school. Seriously, and he's seventeen. Yeah. So he's yeah.
1: Aaron was entering a world in which football reigned supreme, where exceptions to the rules were made and concerns about one's well being were often overlooked, in hopes of walking away with a win every Saturday. Quickly, Aaron began to learn that star football players were treated differently and not held to the same standards as others. With this untouchable attitude, it wasn't long before life in Gainesville would start spiraling out of control for Aaron Hernandez. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah.
0: So what do we think? This poor young man. (laughs) Yeah. No no shot. I mean, with the family, like, the, the family dynamic of the violence and abuse... And then you mix in the sexual identity and you mix in the dad's homophobia and you mix in the sudden death of the dad and you mix in the, the pressure from the sports. I mean, it's just this is a casserole. It was a just a boiling pot. It's starting. It's and it's not even done yet because then he starts abusing drugs. And I'm not here's a here's the thing you guys I'm not a prude. If you want to smoke marijuana, you should do that. Well, he was already abusing drugs. That's or what I'm saying. Smoking a ton that's of weed saying. before he went to college. They said that uh, you should not smoke weed as a, when your brain's still developing because it, you could create. You could. Well, get, I turned out okay. Well, I mean, you're fine. Yeah, it's fine. You're <laughs> fine. But the, but maybe did you smoke all day every day before every single practice? Uh, <laughs> d- what practice was I going <laughs> that's to? That's true. That's true. <laughs>
1: um, no, of course not. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying. It's he in in a house where there were no rules where you. Could could literally wake up and smoke all day long yeah. and you maybe don't even have to go to school if you don't want to and then come home and keep smoking with your cool cousin who lets you do whatevs and takes you to a bar like he just had no chance and that creates your little your little brains getting whacked around on the football field and it's getting all these chemicals into it and it's so you're so young i the only part of that i don't
1: 100 agree with is he had no chance yeah yeah because yeah. Someone else could experience all of that and not go fun. on to murder a bunch of people. That's true. And people do experience a yeah. lot of
0: that and I not go on to murder a bunch of people. My dad and my aunt would tell me about my dad's dad beat the ever loving shit out of my dad. And he my dad would on purpose kind of like p- make him mad so that he wouldn't hit my aunt's. He mm-hmm. had four little sisters and my dad didn't hit us. You yeah. know, he one time he was like, OK, you can't walk in the street, so I have to give you spanking. But it wasn't like the same his dad would come home wasted from the bar and beat the shit out of him and so it's you know I do always go against that where it was like well you know if your parents hit you you're going to hit your kids there is a very strong correlation
1: but not necessarily and, and even to spanking yeah but yeah so I mean he definitely the odds were stacked against him and he needed for years someone to step in that was outside of the family with that could offer counseling or therapy or just kind of put him back on a straight and narrow path. Some would say that's a lot of football coaches do that, but mm-hmm. I don't think he, I didn't see a ton of like information that from his high school football coach. So I'm not really sure what their relationship
0: was. No. And it looked, he was uh, supportive and he did go to Florida with them and to help kind of evaluate yeah. knowing that his dad was not around, but It wasn't... You know, sometimes you hear about that where they're like, man, when my dad died, the coach was the only one that was still there for me. And it was like, he was supportive and he was a good coach, but it's not this patriarchal figure because I think Aaron was drawn to Tanya as his person. She was kind of everything to him.
1: Yeah. Again, shout out to Cheer. Their coach is very much... Oh, does she?
0: She's like the mama bear? Very much, yes.
1: Yeah, so... That's uh, part one. In part two, we're going to get into all the stuff that started happening in Florida and then... NFL? Subsequently, uh, when he got drafted to the
0: NFL and what happened while he was in the NFL. Um, Which is not what most... Uh, anybody, actually. I don't think it's what happened to anybody else in the NFL, being indicted and convicted of no
1: murder. No one has murdered someone and then played an entire season in the NFL. No, that's no. the that's first. It's a new one. So, yeah. A lot to... Lot to come still. Um, if you haven't watched the Netflix documentary, check it out. It's three episodes. It's it's very... not too.
0: It's it's pretty digestible. Yeah, I, it was way more emotional for me than I thought it. Would I be. did cry several times, but it Many wasn't. Times. You know, sometimes you're like, this is this, this doesn't need to be five episodes. So it's three episodes. It's not too bad. They're each. I about thought it an could hour. even been maybe one more could add some, but
1: the there's a ton of um, courtroom footage and seeing the
0: families of those victims make me cry that is very hard to watch Ursula Ward kills me saint she is just what her, a saint she, when she cries I cry every yeah. single episode yeah. she needs to be knighted and sainted she, and fought hard b- beyond the end yeah. she's, she's changing laws yeah. changing the world she's great so yeah
1: it's um, seeing that real world stuff and mm-hmm. how it uh, affected but Yeah, it's it's, uh, good. So check it out. And then uh, before you hear season two, you'll even know more what we're talking about.
0: All right. We got a live show coming up with The Cult. We do. On February 8th at 9 p.m. But then, Christy, what is happening the last week of March? The last week of March is the
1: last two days of the Dallas Comedy Festival, and on one of those days,
0: we will have
1: a live Sinisterhood show. There's
0: going to be a live show in the end of March, and we we don't don't know the date yet. We don't know the
1: date yet, but much like you do for a wedding, save the date. Save the date. (laughs) Because if somebody nuptials will be had so we'll, uh, we will get nupted. someone will get nupped. so yeah save the date it'll be the last weekend in March as soon as we know the date and time you guys will be the first to know yes and um, follow us
0: on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter because we're going to put it on yes, there too yes yeah
1: yeah and uh, Patreons will get um, early access to those tickets yes. as well Well, Sinisterhood will always remain free, but if you wish to donate to our Patreon to help offset the cost of making and hosting the show, you can visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner. You'll get some sweet perks like Patreon-exclusive content, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, and a monthly bonus mini-sode.
0: You also get weekly content called Mixed Bag, where Christy and I bring three of our favorite things, whether it's a book, movie, TV show, or news article, or a delicious snack. And we talk about something that we love and surprise the other person.
1: It's super fun. We're going to record one right after this. I got some good stuff for you. Yeah. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out.
0: So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Well, keep those pictures coming. We love them. If you want to get some cool swag of your own, like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen
1: to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much
0: to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Twitter
1: at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I'm on
0: Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves and geebie Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Mary Catherine White. Jennifer Lamelli, Jess M. Lena Yuhing, Lisa Penza. Becky Karecki. Alexa Carlson. Courtney Rasick. Caitlin Campbell. Alexandra Mundy. Talia Arakuwa.
1: Chloe Allard. Alexis Rousseau. Lindsay Carter. Louisa Shipstone. Lorelai A. Hernandez. Chelsea Al- Alcantara. Carrie Bayless. Melanie. Melissa Okinka. Maddie Fulton. Mona Keller. Allison Dial. Manessa Caldwell. Ashley Teeter. Araceli
0: Rodriguez. Heather Noel Flau. Irina Kanovalova. Raisa Nolasco. Serena Kozlowski. Dana. Anna Hoon. Haley Hankins. Hi, Haley. Amber Blackheart. Tara Crichton. Jennifer Wicker. Michelle Gundrum. Shiler Dilworth. Allison Hannah Candy Courtney Fried Sarah Bolghire Annie Rentos Julia H Shannon Young Anivia Rezevis Julia N. Mooney Tanya Payne Rachel Barrett, Allison Hausler, and Bethany Richardson. Bless you all so much for supporting the show, <laughs> and bless you all for your forgiveness. For we have tried so hard to pronounce your names, and we love you so much, so so much. Yes, you all have beautiful names, and we're sorry if we bastardized them. Uh, I truly apologize, but we are truly, truly, truly grateful. So much so. Keep it creepy. Ha ha ha. Sinister.